Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. As we enter into the eighth month of the global pandemic, we've experienced meaningful changes to our day-to-day lives, perhaps a combination of both positive and negative changes. And now we stand at a point where we could experience even greater change, this time in Washington. Our team is singularly focused on providing stability and support to our clients and communities, and we are always available to discuss questions and concerns or to walk through our outlook and how that might affect you, your family, or your business. As for this week's events, it has been a whirlwind. The polarized environment that led to this election has yielded two days of close calls and anxious voters. The divide is wide between the two parties, and the outcome of the race for the White House has received much of the focus. While clearly a Biden administration would look a lot different than a Trump administration, The makeup of the Senate is just as important when we think about changes in policy and the impact on the economy and the markets. With that said, there are five areas of emphasis when considering the current expected outcome, namely a Biden presidency and split Congress with the Democrats retaining the House and Republicans retaining the Senate. Let's start first on the topic of stimulus. Since several provisions of the CARES Act expired in late July, There has been much anticipation for another fiscal stimulus package to combat some of the economic dislocation that we've experienced as a result of COVID-19. While in the middle of August, we certainly expected there to be an additional fiscal stimulus package, we felt that going through the course of September that the odds of an additional stimulus package prior to the election were fading very quickly. And of course, that is what it has, we have experienced. So one of the things that the markets in particular were looking forward to was a very large stimulus package if the Democrats were able to take both the White House and the Senate. With that seeming less likely right now, let's talk a little bit about changes to expectations for stimulus. This COVID-19 stimulus was expected to be north of $2 trillion. As you recall, Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans came in around $500 billion or so with their proposal, while Nancy Pelosi's proposal out of the House was in excess of that $2 trillion number. Several of the key differences were additional funding for enhanced unemployment benefits, which were included in the Republican package, but at a lower dollar amount, and also this additional state and local aid for communities hard hit by the COVID-19 outbreak earlier this year. So now, looking forward with a split Congress, we are likely to see another COVID-19 stimulus package. It will likely be more targeted to areas like testing uh, and therapeutic availability related directly to COVID-19. There is likely to be some additional stimulus for small businesses in the form of an expansion of the Paycheck Protection Program, which proved to be rather successful over the summer in insulating against future losses and permanent business closures. And there is likely to be some expansion of unemployment benefits for those who have either had their state benefits run out or for whom the state benefits are not commensurate with their previous pay. All of those will be ratcheted back somewhat. 
The other thing to watch for is whether or not the Republicans convince the Democrats from the House to include liability protections for schools and businesses. One of the biggest challenges for businesses in looking at increasing productivity and bringing people back into the office has been their fear about potential litigation if their employees are exposed to COVID-19 in the workplace. And so the Republicans have been pushing for this um, really since the CARES Act was passed. Another area of emphasis that could be different or perhaps the same, depending on the makeup of the Senate, is tax policy. Former Vice President Biden ran on a platform of higher taxes essentially across the board for high income individuals as well as for corporations. And part of the increase on individuals was designed likely to come fairly early in his term in the form of increased capital gains taxes, a lower estate tax exemption, and perhaps the removal of real estate advantages such as the 1031 exchange. And with a split Congress, it's unlikely that there's going to be significant enthusiasm around any of those tax increases in the near term. Secondarily, there was an expectation that the increase in the corporate tax rate from 21% to say 28% would likely occur during Biden's term, but that was seen as something that would occur later as during this nascent economic recovery that we're currently experiencing, it would be a disincentive to companies to reinvest back into the economy and hire with that higher tax rate. Let's shift gears and talk briefly about the Fed. The Fed has been very vocal, particularly Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, over the last several months that an additional fiscal stimulus package out of Washington was necessary to continue to insulate against the economic damage caused by COVID-19. The Fed has put significant liquidity back into the market, has created stable and supportive financial conditions, um, but typically additional stimulus on the fiscal side is what allows an economy to accelerate out of a recession. And the Fed really doesn't have the type of tools to create targeted impact to generate and accelerate economic growth. And so it's not surprising that it has felt like the Fed has essentially tossed the ball to Congress and has been waiting for them to act. And so with this smaller fiscal stimulus anticipated coming into 2021, the focus has really shifted back to what the Fed could potentially do, what's in their toolkit, what are they willing to use from their arsenal to ensure that during this second or third wave of COVID-19, however you're looking at it, um, that we don't have the type of economic dislocation that we experienced earlier this year? Um, so that has major implications for the bond market. Obviously, um, one of the things we talked about earlier with stimulus is the you know the lower bill that would have to be funded by the Treasury for that. And therefore, that's going to create um, perhaps a little less pressure on the 10-year Treasury, as we would have seen otherwise, resulting in a less steep yield curve, which, frankly, is fine with the Fed. Um, they would prefer to keep interest rates fairly low in order to create a supportive environment for corporations and borrowers in these more difficult 
times. As it relates to COVID, in looking through the exit polls and reading through some of the feedback that that we've received from the election already, is that voters were voting based on both the economy, which we expected, as well as the COVID-19 response. However, I think in what has been somewhat of a surprise for many of the pollsters, the concerns around the COVID-19 response are not necessarily specifically that the pandemic was mishandled, but rather that the decision to enact large-scale lockdowns and create you know, a large number of job losses and small business closures in doing so was perhaps not the best way to have handled stopping the spread of the pandemic. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a revisiting of these policies of national lockdown in places like Germany, France, and now the UK. And so the next challenge for a new administration and for Congress is to think about how they are going to walk that fine line between creating additional, possibly permanent economic damage, but also getting some control over what now feels like an almost uncontrollable rise in cases here in the United States. And this has implications at the state and local level. Through much of the pandemic, state and local governments have borne the brunt of making tough decisions about how best to handle COVID in their communities. And they've done so without significant monetary support from the federal government. So whether it's a national mask mandate or perhaps some sort of compromise between the Senate and the House on providing some level of state and local support, the response to COVID-19 is the biggest challenge that faces whoever is going to sit in the White House over the course of the next couple of months, and therefore will continue to weigh on our expectations for the markets and the economy, at least in the near term. Hopes for a vaccine continue. And it seems like we will have something for high-risk individuals, you know, probably by the first quarter of next year. But the availability of therapeutics is just as important in this current environment in order to create more confidence in the consumer that they can continue to operate with caution, but that we will not be going back to some of the very strict social distancing mandates that we lived through in April. The last topic that I'd like to touch on is China. One of the frustrations with the business community with President Trump, and there were few, um, but this was a pretty big one, was the constant uncertainty that surrounded the U.S.-China relationship. And one of the things that I would caution is that the China story is essentially a cat out of the bag at this point. And so there's probably no going back to a pre-Trump approach to our relationship with China. However, a Biden presidency is more likely to yield additional negotiation um, and potentially uh, a more diplomatic approach to righting some of the inequalities that have surfaced around the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. And so while we don't necessarily see 
U.S.-China relations or tensions um, as off the table from a risk perspective, we do think that it will be more of a managed risk or a mitigated risk under a Biden presidency, and that it will be easier for U.S. companies to plan around it rather than what we experienced in 2018 and 2019, which were marked with more of an erratic approach to this particular issue. So with all of that, the caveat is, is that this is all conjecture and that the path to 270 for either candidate is not yet assured. Nor is the Senate decided. We've got four outstanding seats waiting to be declared. But it is important to remember that the U.S. economy still faces some meaningful challenges, many of which are related to COVID-19, and that these issues will require coordination across federal, state, and local governments as well as the firm and steady hand of the Fed to navigate the American economy through these extraordinary times. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions you may have. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today specifically, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the continuing saga that is the election by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters on the bostonprivate.com website and be sure to subscribe to our perspective series on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.